met Ava Glaze through her Help Wanted ad in the Sunday newspaper. It read, Now hiring, 18 to 24 year old male for pool cleaning and maintenance. No experience necessary, good pay, benefits. I already worked as a lifeguard at a private swim club where I received neither good pay nor benefits, so I jumped at the chance for an easy secondary source of income. After trading answering machine messages, we settled on a meeting time for a preliminary estimate of my services. Ava lived on Seago Road, a quiet boulevard rising and falling with the contours of the glacial moraine on which it was built. I was well acquainted with the street's steep climbs, having ascended them every day in the summer on my way to work. A tornado touched down on Seago a month prior, and though most of the homes escaped major structural damage, the once majestic colonnade of maples and oaks was reduced to a graveyard of humble stumps, a single city block of a nuclear holocaust prairie in the midst of West Madison's dense vegetation. I biked past the wreckage the day after the storm, and the defining image of the devastation was the motorized golf cart the twister unceremoniously dumped on someone's front lawn, the fluorescent pink leg of a lawn flamingo protruding from its underbelly. Ava's house rested at the summit of Seago's most imposing hill, and when I arrived, there was a team of construction workers eating cucumber sandwiches off an elegant silver platter on the roof, which appeared to be completely repaired. I rang the doorbell, and Ava appeared wearing a low-cut strapless dress, perfect for a Rita Hayworth film, but a bit risque for a pool estimate. The dress was a big hit with the roofers, whose cucumber sandwiches fell from their mouths cascading down the shingles onto the flower beds below. Ava ushered me inside and offered me a glass of lemonade, which I accepted. A TV repairman stood in the living room, holding some loose cables in his hand. I think I discovered your problem, ma'am, he said to Ava. Someone severed your wires. Oh dear, sighed Ava. Not again. I took a long swig of the lemonade and involuntarily spit it out all over a fancy Persian rug. That's the 80 proof Kentucky whiskey, said Ava. Gives it the extra kick. I began searching for some paper towels, but Ava told me not to worry since the carpet cleaners were coming later in the afternoon. The doorbell rang and Ava let in a Culligan man carrying a large plastic water cooler. He asked her where she'd like it and she instructed him to pour it in the bathtub. I'm bound to take a bath one of these days, she explained. Ava escorted me outside so I could take a look at the pool, but when I reached the backyard, it was completely barren. There was not a pool in sight. They must not have delivered it yet, said Ava, frowning. There was an awkward silence while we both stared at the empty yard, half hoping a pool would pop up with the ground like an automatic sprinkler. The construction workers waved to Ava from the roof. Can we get some more cucumber sandwiches? asked the foreman. Sure, apple blossom, Ava purred. Just send that silver platter on down and I'll fill her right up. I told Ava I should probably get going, but she begged me to stay. Here, she said, handing me a mop. Why don't you practice or something? She stepped into the kitchen to make more sandwiches, leaving me alone to contemplate the task at hand. My manager once asked me to sweep the parking lot, but this was far more bizarre. 
I thought of all the other kids my age, pursuing summer internships with marketing firms and insurance companies, studying abroad in Spain and Latin America, conducting research on cancer treatment in South Florida marine life. Shouldn't I be preparing for the future, laying the groundwork for a long and successful career? Shouldn't I be reaching for the stars, chasing my dreams, actualizing my potential? I shrugged my shoulders, drew in a sharp intake of air, and began mopping the fresh cut grass. hours of mopping, I biked to Sunny Days, the private swim club that employed me, to work a four-hour shift. I was greeted at the front entryway by my best friend Rivers, who was replacing the pool hours on the welcome sign with Japanese characters. My associates from Kyoto are coming here for a conference tomorrow, he explained. I want to give them a warm welcome. Rivers was constantly hosting corporate seminars and informational retreats in the staff lounge and the tool shed which he outfitted with a 42-inch plasma flat screen and an Alesis Proactive 5.1 surround system. I would go into the shed for a lawnmower, and Rivers would be delivering a PowerPoint presentation on tariff law to a huddled mass of foreign investors in smart gray business suits, speckled with insulating material cascading from the ceiling. I walked past Rivers and encountered Anthony, a vainglorious sycophant who I held in utter contempt. Anthony was casually talking with a 17-year-old girl in a floral print bikini, who was paying rapt attention. The thing about the Heimlich, he said, is that if you do it correctly, you usually break the ribcage. Oh my god, the girl gasped. Isn't there a better way? Well, replied Anthony, there is a gentler method. He stepped behind her and slid his arms around her midsection, sensually massaging her navel. As he worked his hands slowly down her quivering abdomen, his girlfriend Darlene appeared. What on earth are you doing? she demanded, the tan lines from her sunglasses suggesting the appearance of an angry raccoon. Nothing, baby, Anthony demurred. I'm just demonstrating a variation on the Heimlich. Darlene stormed off to the women's changing room, an outdoor facility blockaded with a white plaster wall that did little to muffle her choked sobs. I glanced at the work schedule behind the front desk and noticed Anthony's lecherous, glass-encased smile jeering at me from the Employee of the Month plaque, a title he held for June and July. One more month, and he'd win the Triple Crown. I entered the office of Skeffington, the pool manager, a trim, athletic man of fifty who always wore tight gym shorts and a tank top. He was carefully counting the last bits of loose change from the till and sweeping them into a leather purse. Why, Dean, he said, you're just the man I want to see. He instructed me to walk the purse over to the bank, which lay behind the fitness center, sharing a parking lot with the pool. The bank was robbed once a year, 
always in late July, and because of the high chain-link fencing bordering the bank, the pool's parking lot was the obvious choice for an escape route. Once I was dozing off in my guard chair when I spotted a short, portly figure dressed in black scaling the pool's outer fence. He ran across the pool deck, weaved in and out of the gauntlet of elderly women reclining in deck chairs, and leapt over the opposite fence. I thought I might be hallucinating, but shortly after, two policemen hoisted themselves over the fence and hustled past the stupefied sunbathers in pursuit of the burglar. Darlene, the other lifeguard on duty, blew her whistle. No running on deck, she said. I took the purse from Skeffington and made my way past Anthony, whose arms were wrapped around a different girl. The idea is to gently massage the obstruction out of the trachea, he instructed, kneading her tanned skin with his licentious hands. The girl cocked her head and impishly gazed into his eyes. Can you show me the thrusts again? she asked. I was walking up the steps to the parking lot when a minivan pulled up directly in front of me, blocking my path. The passenger door slid open and out stepped two small children in full-body wetsuits, followed by the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. She was Hispanic, her skin the color of coffee ice cream, and she wore a white gardenia in her hair like Billie Holiday. The van drove off and the girl helped the two children down the front steps. She noticed I was staring at her and she reached into her knitted handbag and pulled out a laminated card the pool gave to registered babysitters. I have this card, she said, with a heavy Spanish accent. I nodded and, without thinking, took the card from her. You keep? she asked me, the wetsuit-clad children tugging at her sheer pashmina cover-up. Why no, I said, handing back her card. Of course not. Uh, enjoy the premises. She smiled a polite, vacant smile clearly not understanding me, and glided gracefully across the blue interlocking pool mats lining the floor of the entryway. Enjoy the premises? Is that the best I could come up with? Could have at least said something in Spanish. But then again, our conversation would have been limited to stiff formalities and discussions of the weather. Como estas? Yo estoy muy bien. Hace mucho sol, boy. Anything else would push the limits of my conversational abilities. Four years of high school Spanish, and they never once taught us how to flirt with a girl. I guess the American educational system truly is in decline. I sullenly walked to the bank and deposited the money at the drive through drop box, the woman behind the glass arching her eyebrow as I waited for the receipt, shirtless and barefoot. When I returned to the pool, Anthony was engaged in an animated discussion with a Hispanic girl, eliciting streams of laughter with his manic jokes delivered in fluent Spanish. I could not believe it. Hey Dean, he said, pointing to the empty handbag draped over my shoulder. Nice purse. The girl cocked her head back and squealed with delight, even though she couldn't possibly have understood the joke. I dropped the purse on Skeffington's desk, and after leaving the office, I came face to face with Anthony's stupid grin, mocking me from behind the glass of the employee of the month plaque. Reflected in the glass was the real Anthony, wearing the same exact grin, defiling my manhood in a language I barely understood with perfect grammar and pronunciation. God, I hate Anthony.
The next morning, Ava called me and said the pool had arrived. I stopped by on my way to work and discovered Ava waiting in the front yard, dressed in a lemon chiffon slip-inspired cocktail dress. The construction workers were eating oysters Rockefeller on the roof, gazing longingly at their hostess's bare shoulders. Hi, baby doll, she said to me, a hint of southern drawl in her voice. The pool's out back. I followed her into the backyard to find a four-foot-wide, one-foot-tall inflatable pool in the shape of a turtle. So, what is it that you want me to do? I asked. Whatever you normally do, she replied. I drew up a list of necessary supplies, including calcium chloride to increase the pool's mineral hardness, liquid chlorine to sanitize the water, muriatic acid to lower the pool's alkalinity, and a DPD chlorine bromine test kit to measure the pool's pH level. Ava agreed to cover the cost of all supplies and suggested an hourly wage of $10. I made $5.75 an hour at the swim club, so I felt no need to argue for a salary increase. Ava invited me inside for a glass of lemonade, which I politely refused. The TV repairman was once again standing in the living room, holding two coaxial cables. I think I've discovered your problem, ma'am, he said. Someone severed your wires. Oh dear, said Ava. Not again. The Culligan man emerged from the bathroom, wearing nothing but a terry cloth bathrobe, drying his hair with a pink embroidered towel. Hot water is acting up again, he said to Ava. Don't you worry, sweetheart, she murmured. The handyman's coming in later today. Ava took a long, salacious draught of the hard lemonade and placed a hand on my shoulder. Now if you'll excuse me, she said, the exterminator's waiting. You have a termite problem, I asked. Not yet, she admitted, but you have to be proactive. I left Ava's house and made a trip to Malat's pharmacy, where I bought a colorful red piñata in the shape of a heart, filled to the brim with candy, the inscription Te Amo embroidered in flowery pink letters. I had spent the previous night translating the lyrics of American love songs into Spanish with a pocket dictionary. The best I came up with was Tu eres una estrella brillante, which was supposed to mean You are my shining star. I wasn't sure how well it translated, but hopefully the appropriate sentiment was conveyed. When I arrived at work, the Hispanic girl was lying on her stomach, tanning on a deck chair at the far end of the pool, an open issue of Teen Cosmopolitan draped across her bikini bottom. I nervously approached her with the piñata stored in my backpack, practicing my foreign pickup line in my head. I stood at the side of her chair for several minutes, but she never registered my presence. Having already dropped $40 on the custom piñata, there was no turning back. I cleared my throat and loudly delivered my proclamation of love. Tu eres una estrella brillante. The girl turned her head and stared at me, quizzically. I don't understand, she said. I knew it, I cursed to myself. The aphrodisiac powers of R&B lyrics must lose their potency when translated into Spanish. Te amo, I said, handing her the heart-shaped piñata. I love you. This was my backup plan. Trite, but it gets the point across. Who are you? She replied, visibly annoyed, tying the strings of her bikini top back into place. I'm Dean, I answered, as if that would explain everything. She sat up and took the piñata, 
confused by the awkward exchange that had unwantedly developed. I have a boyfriend, she said, with her beautiful Spanish accent. Don't you like the piñata? I inquired. Yes, she said. It is very pretty. A long, uncomfortable silence followed, a time I spent mostly thinking of the countless better uses of my forty dollars. Can I have the piñata back? I asked. Now the girl was really confused, trapped in some bizarre American ritual her orientation class certainly never prepared her for. I grabbed the piñata from her arms and stormed outside, where I tied it to a maple tree and bashed it with the blunt end of a wooden broom. Candy spilled in waves over the sidewalk, and children rushed to collect the piñata's precious entrails. My boss, Skeffington, happened by, and he asked me what I was doing. I'm breaking my own heart, I said. Skeffington scanned the sidewalk, a mass grave of colorful paper carcasses, and put his hands on his hips. Okay, he said. Just make sure you sweep up all the wrappers. received a dinner invitation from Mrs. Glaze. I hadn't realized she was married, but that's how she referred to herself on the stationery. I found Ava's age and lascivious innuendos intimidating, but I decided to accept the offer, since I dreaded spending another lonely night pining for the Hispanic girl. Knowing Ava would be lavishly dressed, I put on the tuxedo I wore for my high school prom, which ended predictably with a trip to the emergency room to get my date's stomach pumped. When I arrived at her house, Ava had just finished preparing the meal, a grandiose feast of char-grilled steak, plum pudding, and quiche Lorraine. She wore an outrageous ruffled flamingo dress with a sheared bust line flowing into a form-fitting bodice. I felt like I was going to prom in Andalusia. The dining table was set for ten people, but we were the only ones in the house. Ava put on some Billie Holiday and asked me if I'd like to dance. I declined, but she forced me into her arms, and we swayed back and forth in the dining room, while Billie sang, Lover, come back to me. How old are you, Dean? She whispered into my ear. Nineteen, I said, a knot forming in my throat. What a great age to be, she said, running her brightly painted nails across my neck. Going to parties? Meeting girls? I bet you get a lot of girls. No, I stammered. I'm not very good with girls. I find that hard to believe, she purred. The Twilight Zone seduction was interrupted by the doorbell, which drove Ava away from my arms and into the parlor. I seated myself at the table and placed a napkin on my lap. 
the steak looked delicious. Ava returned to the kitchen with the unlikeliest of dinner guests. One by one, the TV repairman, the construction workers, and the Culligan man took their places at the table, helping themselves to large portions of steak and quiche Lorraine. The last to arrive was the exterminator, still dressed in his bright yellow protective suit. When everyone had sat down, the sole empty seat belonged to the head of the table, a single place setting awaiting the last mystery guest. The servicemen greedily dug into their food, showering Avo with praises. This steak is fantastic, said the exterminator. Is it a porterhouse? New York Strip, said Ava. The Culligan man popped the cork on a bottle of vintage Cabernet Sauvignon and filled everyone's wine glass, which we raised for a toast. To the service industry, said Ava, the backbone of the American economy. Before we could clink our glasses, the front door swung open and a man's heavy footsteps reverberated down the hall. The revelry at the dinner table immediately ceased, and we could hear Billie Holiday singing strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. The mystery guest took his seat at the head of the table, shoulders slumped, a dingy tweed jacket complementing his ragged, uneven features. The strange man helped himself to a cut of steak and the rest of us resumed our meal in absolute silence. After several minutes of nothing but grinding molars and Billy Holiday, the shabby newcomer broke the uneasy stillness with a calm, icy announcement. This steak's tough, he said. Nonsense, Ava rebutted. It's just the way you like it. You know I like it medium well, he said. That's what it is, darling, she retorted. Medium well. The stranger's expression grew pained. It's like I'm gnawing on a bone here, he said. Now look, said Ava, pounding the table with her fist. I prepared that steak according to your exact specifications, so quit your whining and eat the damn thing. Her adversary calmly picked up his plate and tipped it over, spilling his entire meal on the pristine white tablecloth. It's tough, he said. In one fluid motion, Ava's wine glass sailed past the man's ears and into the wall, the force of the impact causing Billie Holiday to skip in the next room. Get out, screamed Ava, rising from her chair. Get out, get out! The man abdicated his seat and buttoned his tweed jacket, his quivering eyes boring holes into the dinner guests, silently judging us. I can see when I'm not wanted, he said to Ava through clenched teeth. Have a nice meal with all your whores. He then looked directly at me and said, They get younger every day, don't they? The dining room reverted to an eerie silence, and I excused myself and slipped out the back door. The still waters of the inflatable kiddie pool glittered in the moonlight, and needing something to occupy my mind, I commenced a full water check. I collected small samples and test tubes that I mixed with diagnostic chemicals from an eyedropper, gleaning information about the pool's pH content, chlorine level, and mineral hardness based on the color of the precipitate cloudy formation like a tiny galaxy behind glass. It was too dark for accurate measurements, but I added a little calcium chloride to be on the safe side. I took off my tuxedo, neatly folding my shirt, jacket, and pants and laying them on the grass, and entered the frigid water, 
paper which spilled over the top as I submerged myself. I counted the seconds as I held my breath. One minute, two minutes, and the stars overhead danced with the subtle movements of the water. Soon my thoughts were focused solely on the burning in my lungs and an overwhelming peace washed over me. I had no idea when I stopped counting. 30 seconds ago, a minute ago, an hour, darkness blotted out the stars, and I sprang back to life, gasping for the precious air I'd always taken for granted. When I rubbed the chlorinated water from my eyes, I saw that Ava was standing before me with a pair of wire cutters and a severed television cable. She dropped them to the ground and slipped off her dress, carelessly tossing it on my folded clothes. She entered the water, and once again the pool overflowed like a foaming bottle of champagne. Toast, she said, her body sliding into mine, to the backbone of America. Feel.